1: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. Before we begin, as always, we would like to thank all our listeners for their support. Uh, Please continue to listen to us and spread the word about our podcast to your uh, cricket loving friends. If you haven't already done this, please subscribe to our podcast on uh, the platform that you're listening to us on, be it uh, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify cast box, or anything like this. Uh, You can find us by searching for the text Armchair Cricket Podcast on these platforms and uh, you should be able to find us uh, quite easily over there. Uh, And do not forget to leave us a rating, preferably a five-star rating, uh, and provide your feedback um, on whichever platform you listen to us on. You can also reach out to us by email. Our email address is armchair.cricket at gmail.com you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at ArmchairCricketPod. You can find us, uh, you know, active on Twitter when there was, whenever there is a, a match ongoing. You can join us there for a banter. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, all the links uh, are mentioned in the description box below. So now, having said that, it is now time to welcome my co-host, Ajit. Hello, Ajit. How are you doing? Doing any better?
2: Hi Giri. Uh, well, uh, unfortunately not too much. It looks like, uh, you know, it's one of those colds that's not uh, going away under a week or so. Mm-hmm. I'm still recovering. Uh, so it's been sort of a slowish week. Yeah. I'm taking it easy and not doing too many things. How about well, you?
1: Well, not bad myself. Uh, although, you know, I, I don't think there is any uh, cure for this. <laughs> uh, just noticing that uh, RCB have lost on the trot for the fifth time now so it's probably as well, good as done but, <laughs> but i think
2: uh, life goes on nevertheless indeed so, well i mean hope is always there isn't it
1: yeah mathematically do you think they still have a chance well let's come to that in a bit anyway all right yeah
2: maybe hmm. we can first pick up the trivia question isn't yeah it? right all right so um the trivia question from last week was that uh, who is the only player to have played in an odi world cup final and later adjudicated it also as an umpire, right? So this was sort of a question that would, I was hoping, uh, provoke uh, thinking in our listeners and our friends. Uh, but I was sort of disappointed nobody guessed the answer right, right? So as I gave a hint last time, we our questions are mostly targeted towards the same team we discussed quite a lot. So last week we had discussed Sri Lanka and their chances in the World Cup. So the player... Who, whose name was, I think, mentioned even once or twice, uh, was uh, indeed Kumara Dharmasena. So, Kumar Dharmasena played the 1996 final as a off-spinner for Sri Lanka. So, he's a match, he's a World Cup winner, of course. And in the 2015 World Cup, he had the opportunity of officiating in the final. In the final between Australia and New Zealand, which Australia clinched, he was one of the officiating umpires. So, this is the answer to our trivia question. So, only thing I would really request that uh, our... Uh, Followers and our friends also participate in this uh, trivia question We would be very happy if you we were to make guesses and it doesn't matter if they are wrong and it we don't stop you from making a You know search on the internet and then telling us the answer. It's not a problem So it would be very, you know uh, encouraging for us if you guys were to let us know what the answer is All right, then now I think Giri we can resume our uh, well, uh, yeah. well our pathos about RCV and so on so as you were saying it never seems to up. end. <laughs> well, they we to a final uh, or a yeah. lo-fi result. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in this match, in the latest match, well, uh, it was all sort of, you know, uh, as I was tweeting earlier today, they have run, they have run into one of nature's uh, beasts or one of freaks of nature. And this guy, he's been defying expectations for like, I think, four matches in a row where he has scored at a strike rate of 220 or more mm-hmm. to win the match for his team. So, uh, it looked uh, dead and buried. As far as uh, RCB were concerned, the match was home and dry. Hmm. But this guy had different ideas. So, you know, but did you follow this match or something?
1: Well, I was fortunate enough to watch RCB bat and uh, bat well for a change. And then when I saw the score was uh, 205 or something, I thought RCB had a good chance because I think 200 is about a par score uh, at uh, Chinaswamy Stadium.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so, I thought RCB are within a chance. Uh, and I think I saw the score sometime uh, during the middle overs. And then RCB still had an advantage mm-hmm. over KKR. I think KKR mm-hmm. were not there yet. But I saw under uh, Russell was batting, but he hadn't taken off yet. So, I thought it was probably, you know, still it was going to be a close match. But in the end, I thought RCB was going to pull this off. And then I had other things to do. And then when I came back and then I saw, you know, result and uh, I mean I was I was not surprised that uh, Dre Russ could finish it off you know even with five balls to spare I think
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: unbelievable hitting in the 19th over uh, team Saudi happened to bear the brunt of uh, Dre Russ's wrath uh, uh-huh. um, so this guy is amazing so muscular uh, I don't know how, where I mean we know where he gets his power from but uh, the kind of hitting such clean hitting yeah uh, against somebody of team saudi's class he's no he's not really uh, such a bad bowler you know he's test bowler he's a very good experienced bowler yeah um so team saudi uh, went for a lot of runs in that 19th over i don't know maybe 25 plus i think mm-hmm. which basically sealed the match and um, i think if you look at um, what happened before i think treyros was dropped right was he dropped
2: by, uh, no, Dreyas uh, wasn't dropped, but I mean, some other things happened, of course. There were I think Chris was Lynn was dropped. I think Chris, Chris Lynn. was Lynn. dropped.
1: Yeah. 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 So, there were some drops in the
2: field. RC- RCB were uh, very bad, and
1: I think, uh, in uh, not holding on to such catches mm-hmm. and catches win matches. So, so th- they lost it uh, with those drops, as well as, I think, some average bowling. And also, some. I think the plans were also not right. I think you were mentioning this offline, mm-hmm. uh, Ajit, about not... Bowling Moeen Ali, for example, uh, and not bowling the spinners uh, until the end. So,
2: Well, I mean, you're right, you know, you've covered uh, some of the points I wanted to mention, but just a couple of counterpoints to that. Well, first of all, the bad fielding. So, I think Siraj is a particular culprit. I think <clears throat> he'll show up again and again in our discussion. But uh, let's go mm-hmm. through that. First of all, not completing the spinners overs earlier. Today in the match uh, where uh, Chennai Super Kings and um, uh, Mumbai Indians defended low totals. You saw how important the spinners are in the middle yeah. Yep. That was, I think, a mistake on the captaincy front. The other one, of course, the catches. So, Navdeep, uh, Navdeep Saini was the guy that dropped Chris Lane on one. Mm. And then, um, you know, uh, Mohamed Siraj dropped him at extra cover again. Uh, deep extra cover, you know. That was very weird. And <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, not bowling Mohin Ali. Probably I was expecting Mohin Ali would be bowled uh, just uh, from the last over of the power play onwards, or something, and he would bowl well into 12th over, or something. Mm-hmm. Not even using two of his overs when you know your faster bowlers are going for a lot of runs. That was a clear, clear, uh, you know, lack of a, Probably they had a plan, and probably Moinelli did not have a. You know, a role in that plan. But mm. there was no on the field changing, nothing in the those strategy breaks, nothing. There was no strategy really in those breaks. Mm. That was a weird thing for me to see. Because, you know, Gary Kirsten is a very, uh, very experienced coach. And uh, for him to have missed such an op- obvious thing was weird. Now, coming to the end overs, look, they it was 66 runs of 24 balls. You are absolutely right. And Russell may have done it time and time again, but do you really say, does lightning strike twice or thrice or whatever? Apparently, it keeps striking with this guy. <laughs> but if you come one step further, it was first against Siraj who sort of lost his cool. Even again today, we saw it that, you know, uh, the I think it was Deepak Chahar who was bowling the… Not Deepak Chahar, but uh, yeah, his brother… Who was bowling the you know the penultimate over for Chennai Super Kings? He sort of lost his cool, but he also bowled two no balls, one of which was a beamer. But then Dhoni sort of calmed him down. You could clearly tell, see him just yeah. gest- gesturing and telling, get back to the basics, deliver, you know, five, six regular balls, let them hit them, let them hit you however far they want. It'll not your mind will calm down, you'll bowl well, don't worry. Yeah. It worked out. So he had considered eight runs without even bowling a single ball. Mm. And from then on, He's actually hmm. uh, considered only five runs in the next six balls and took the wicket.
1: But Deepak Chahar, having bowled those two beamers, uh, should he have not been allowed to bowl, do you think? Because I, I think, think the umpires deemed one. they were less yeah. dangerous, those by. I think that, uh,
2: he, was, he was only bowled one beamer. His first one was an overstepping ball, no ball. No,
1: no, I, I thought they were both uh, over the uh-huh. waistline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, the first see. ball was uh, played by Sarfas Khan to the third man boundary, he just guided it. Right over the slips and uh, yeah. the second was also pretty much similar. I think uh, they will. Uh, they
2: but, were lucky then to get away. No, with it.
1: but I think uh, I heard the commentators say it must have been Danny Morrison. Uh, I don't know mm. who it was, but he said because these two beamers were not dangerous, they were not at the yes. body or something. They were ah, away from the body, so
2: right, right, right.
1: So the had. Uh, so I think Deepak Chahar got away there.
2: Uh, <laughs> okay, but, but be... Siraj didn't in the Bangalore match. Siraj didn't, and he had to be taken off. Right, as a result, Stoinis came to bowl and two sixes was considered of those two balls. That, that, and basically, that's exactly where Bangalore lost the plot because mm. they gave the momentum to Russell, who was already in a good form, of course. Mm. Right, but he got these additional balls to play with. And then, um, when Tim Saudi came on to bowl, he had 32 different. You know, Tim Saudi is actually a finishing bowler for New Zealand in shorter forms as well. Mm. Unfortunately, he went for 29 runs, that was unexpected because. Russell, he kept trying these short ones, right? He, he kept trying to bowl a shorter, slower ball. And Russell was just sitting back in the crease and waiting. And with his power, all he had to do was swing it. And it used to go away, right? Yeah, I saw the highlight. It sort of left me with a numb feeling because it looked like I was able to predict what was going on, but these international players couldn't understand. Be it the captaincy changes or Tim Saudi failing to adapt. Anyway, it's, it's by the by, but I mean, let's just say Royal Challengers season is more or less over now. So, yeah. what they have is a chance to rebuild from here. You know, it's like one of those test match series where when the test match series is lost, if you are any players who feel like, you know, a surplus to the team can be dropped and you introduce new blood already knowing that the series is lost and you have nothing to lose. Already, I think, at least for the fans like me and you, we are already in that mindset. Maybe if the management concedes this, it's time to probably try a new captain, try newer players. They didn't try the bench strength at all. There are plenty of people who are waiting to bat and bowl and, you know, field. So, maybe it's time to try the bench strength. I mean, go for broke, basically. They have nothing to lose, right?
1: And they can still win the wooden spoon, right?
2: <laughs> they probably will. That's still win.
1: probably there in their plan.
2: Well, I mean, as you were saying offline, they may have some tough competition from Delhi Capitals or what did you call them? <laughs> Delhi Capitulates. I think this is what Sanjay Manjrekar called them. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's almost C2S, but we'll we'll forgive one of those. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. So, that was our quick, uh, you know, chat about uh, RCB. Now, there are a couple of other interesting points still related to IPL that we wanted to discuss, right? Mm. So, Ashwin was saying, well, this mankading discussion is going on and on because, you know, uh, Butler questioned, this is a wishy-washy rule, why is it still there? And Ashwin said, if it's there, I'm going to use it. Why don't you remove it from the cricketing rules, right? But I don't know if you saw today's match with uh, when Chennai was uh, <coughs> trying to set up a score. I think Rayudu, who was running with uh, Dhoni, mm-hmm. sort of used this, uh, you know, the, made sure he took an advantage of a yard or so every time the bowler was about to deliver. Mm-hmm. You saw why this rule is in place, right? Yeah. is yeah. to prevent this sort of... a. Uh, situation where the batsman sort of takes a whole yard, even before the ball leaves the bowler's hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think there's still place for it. Only thing is the judicial usage of it, right? Mm. What we saw last week was that, you know, Ashwin's uh, usage was a bit harsh. But mm. nonetheless, when what we saw today happens, it, it behooves the bowler to probably use such, uh, such a law and to his advantage and maybe warn the batsman once, that's the gentlemanly spirit of cricket, mm-hmm. but then run him off, you know. So, yeah. it was interesting. Maybe today, either the <clears throat> support staff did not notice it or maybe they were a bit hesitant to, you know, not enforce it simply because it would be called to action or it would be called to be too too much. What do you think about it?
1: Um, I think Ashwin also mentioned this. I think the T20 game or the limited overs game, the white ball cricket, is stacked against the bowler to start with. So mm-hmm. it's it's never an almost no ball or an almost uh, wide. It's it's always clear, right? I mean, if he oversteps, uh, then it's clearly a no ball. It, the 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 umpire doesn't warn him saying you're overstepping. So next time you do that, I'm going to give you give you know call that a no ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nothing like that. So the batsman um, uh, he can stand outside. It outside his crease when he's taking stance. Uh, against a bowler, he can st- stand right next to the stumps, or you know, covering the stumps. So the batsman has a lot of options, to be honest. Um, so I think what Ashwin also said there in the end was that the bat- batsman might still stay outside the crease. However, his bat should be, you know, inside. So the the batsman himself might stand outside the crease, but you know, the bat should still be grounded and inside the crease. Exactly. It still gives him a head start. Yeah. However, it's also you know a bit fair uh, for the bowler. So he, even when he's trying to deliver the ball, the batsman hasn't taken off like Ambati Raidu was doing today, and basically ran half a run already before Dhoni uh, put bat on ball, right? So I think yeah. it, it was a bit of an unfair advantage that Raidu was gaining. But then, uh, so I mean, I think MCC needs to have a look at this, or the ICC in general uh, needs to revisit this rule and then see if it's relevant in this uh, modern era. Because if people want to steal runs like this, it might well uh, need to be looked at. Um, and, and I think uh, we also notice that batsmen are running more twos these days, right? The people, whatever used to be basically a tip and run for a single in the past, they even played in the gap and then they run two almost every other time these days. And that's probably also because the non-striker has been gaining a bit of an advantage. Um, so... I mean I, I mean I'm, I'm in favor of what Ashwin has said, although coming back to the dismissal of uh, Butler, I think Ashwin did not I still uh, you know believe that Ashwin did not act uh, on instinct. it was planned uh, but and again, you know this real, uh, this rule really needs to be uh, looked at in detail and then see if we can make a small amendment here to make it more fair you know, for the bowler.
2: Exactly. I mean, maybe warning has to be introduced, maybe. It was interesting that it was the case and they removed it. Mm. I don't know the historical context of why the warning that needs to be given was removed, maybe mm. to make it easier for the bowlers, you know. Then I think MCC will keep quiet because they're happy with the way the law is. So that means the bowler can continue monk batsman, right? Mm. But I mean, just to go back one step, I will play the devil's advocate. I will sort of defend the rules of cricket as they are. The game has to be stacked in favor of the batsmen. We sort of discussed it a uh, mm-hmm. while back in one of the previous episodes because mm-hmm. otherwise there is a high likelihood with a very competitive bowling attack or a very threatening one, even with all the protective equipment and all that people do wear, they could be well very well carried off or just be dismissed in half an hour. Right? Then it would not be a contest. I mean, when you have a stadium full of people yeah. waiting on you for a mm-hmm. contest, you don't want that to happen in any condition. At the end of the day, this is still a sporting event. Isn't it? That's the only reason why the rules will always be stacked in favour of the batsmen. Because 10 good balls is enough to end any innings. Right? IPL, you know, is
1: not real cricket for me anyway. So, it's just entertainment. Uh, But it's really sad that a bowler always has to suffer. Uh, I know you're playing devil's advocate in favour of the batsmen. But then again, I think for these limited over tournaments, they still should have a look at this. Because every run matters and, you know, these high-octane matches can go either way. Uh, like it did with uh, RCP mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe in test cricket they can keep it clean and I think in test cricket nobody generally tries to take an advantage if there is a hostile bowling uh, attack on one end, the non-striker will really like to stay <laughs> at the non-striker's end and let the other That's guy it. you know, play the whole over out, so I think it's still protected in terms of test cricket it's still okay there uh, but in limited-overs cricket we may have to look at it or the ICC may need to look at it again well, it's probably another discussion we can go on and on i think uh, but it's good that ashwin has you know brought this rule into spotlight again having mancated uh, joss Butler. so it's it's got the whole cricketing world talking about this now so which is good i think they need to question these things i think it's it's always good to uh visit the rule book and then see how relevant it is in this day and age
2: indeed now it's a very relevant point because look you hit the nail on the head when you said uh, the rules of cricket were invented for test cricket where such a munkading or such a run sling was never in focus, right? Then they have been extended to the shorter formats. Maybe it's time that some of these rules are also evolving. So anyway, we'll probably discuss more in the upcoming episodes. Let's see how this saga, you know, (laughs) uh, feels. So now uh, going on, Ganguly, Saro Ganguly has been asked to answer the conflict of interest question. So, uh, basically, three people from Kolkata, three people with interest of CAB or Create Association of Bengal, whose uh, president Ganguly is, have written to the ombudsman, the BCCA ombudsman and asked him if Ganguly can rightly serve as a consultant on the Delhi Capitals team. Right. So, this ombudsman, Mr. Jain, or Justice Jain, has questioned Ganguly and Ganguly says he will be responding by tomorrow, that is 7th of April right? It, it's it's a very interesting point for me because he's a salaried employee of a uh, cricket board, uh, at least regional one, but he's now a consultant at uh, Delhi Capitals. What do you think about it, uh, Kiri? Uh,
1: how do you define the role of a consultant? Is he employed by the franchise or is he just, you know, a real consultant who is there on a need basis? How do you uh, actually describe this word consultant here?
2: I mean, look, its it, that's where the rule of the law is one thing and the spirit of the law is another, as they say, right? <laughs> so the rule of the law would be that you would uh, require to have uh, you know, uh, a 0 hour contract and you would be on a need as mm. when needed basis that's a mm. consultant right but you know how yeah. the it works we're all consultants we call ourselves but we're there every day all the time so you know that's probably how this uh, let's say the phrase is being used in ganguly's case because we know he participates in sort of net sessions with delhi capitals and all that yeah and look they have a entire coaching staff they have ponting leading the coaching staff as the head coach they have a mentor all that right And Ganguly is a consultant. So he basically is there only to advise them on matters of, I don't know, whatever they require to be addressed. So when it comes to that, he's allowed to do that. But then, and as long as he's not a salaried and, you know, identified member of a coaching staff or a support staff, they can't actually ask him. So, I I mean, I really don't see he would not have thought about this. So there are some loopholes uh, in the rules as they stand. And as a result, he's there. But, you know, it's a relevant point. And uh, let's also keep an eye on this, because I think in one of the upcoming episodes, we can get a chance to talk about it again, because these guys, this this is a developing saga. We will have more episodes in this, let's say. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go away from the IPL section, I think you observed some interesting points about Dhoni's bats, which bats he starts with, etc. Would you like to elucidate on that?
1: Yeah. I don't know if if this is just a coincidence, but this is what I observed, Right. So uh, in the international cricket, he was playing against Australia uh, in India. I noticed that he changed his bat. He previously used a bat which was made by the company called Spartan um, so he changed to uh, SS bats in that ODI series right and then he continued with uh, both of them the, in the in, during, during the initial few matches in the IPL however um, <laughs> I think I noticed in the last couple of matches, especially the one which was played today uh, between CSK and uh, Kings 11 Punjab in Chennai, uh, what I noticed was when Dhoni started his innings, he started with an SS bat, or I think it's called Sunridges uh, bat, and then as he got on and then he uh, got acquainted with the pace of the wicket and then he started playing a few shots, he switched to another bat. I think the bat manufacturer's name is uh, B A S BAS, Probably stands for Beat All Sports. I think it, I don't know. I don't remember the acronym. I think that's what it means. I
0: see. So these
1: are Bass Vampire bats. I think Bass Vampire bats were used by him uh, when he began, uh, when he when he started out uh, uh, playing international cricket for India way back in 2004-2005. I vividly remember him scoring that uh, 183 runs against uh, Sri Lanka with the same B A S Bass bat. So, so he probably has gone back to that manufacturer, but I also noticed it has a longer handle. And with that bat, he's able to hit more of those power strokes. He he he's able to, you know, put the momentum forward and also hit those big sixes. So he starts with one bat and then he finishes the innings with another bat. There's, there might be a pattern here, however, it's also probably based on his how he feels at that moment. So, so I, I will keep an eye out whenever I get a chance. Uh, As to what he does, but it's very strange that a guy plays with two different bats, uh, but that's probably the way forward. I don't know. (laughs) Start with one and then finish with another, right? In the old days, I think people really had the same bat all through the year, but these guys have so many bats these days. So
2: Well, I mean, you're right. So I think it is not, uh, you know, it's not something you just maybe missed, but I think it's a very astute observation, Giri, because... Yes, why not? So you have a short handled bat where the there is more meat in the mm. you know bottom of the bat where you are beginning your innings and you are getting your drives going and you are able to settle down mm. and you are assess the pitch and then towards the end of the innings you call the long handled short bats where uh, you know the meat is uh, concentrated all over and you can use it as a club. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, even they had this experiment with the Mongo's bat. I remember exactly. playing with it. Yeah. You, so it did not take off here, but uh, you are saying something.
1: No, no, I, I remember Matthew Hayden uh, even uh, played this in the IPL in the initial couple of uh, seasons and the IPL. He even brought this out to play with the Mongoose bat. I think it was,
2: like you said, it was not so
1: successful. But maybe uh, there is again a shift towards uh, having long-handled bats, uh, you know, for these power hitters.
2: Yes, I mean, there's always, you know, it's called long handle, taking the long handle after all. Mm-hmm. There's such an expression in cricket, meaning hitting out, right? So, I mean, he's literally bringing it to fruition. But it's right? not so Take pronounced. I
1: have to say it's not so pronounced. It's just ah. a little longer. It's not like the mongoose bats, which really had a long handle and a you know a big bottom. But uh, Right. Interesting. Well, I mean, Let's see, yeah,
2: it's, it's, it's a full topic for another day because we, we could go into the manufacture of bats and also look at every bat comes with a SH and an LH or a shorthand and a long handle. So yeah. the bat body is exactly the same. But depending on the height of the player wielding it,
1: yeah.
2: the handle of the bat can be extended.
1: Yeah, another, is... another point about bats, Because since we are talking about bats, I don't want to take too much time, but I just want to mention this. So, there, are right now, when I was watching all these matches uh, during this IPL, um, so majority of the hitters, or the power hitters, uh, they use these Indian bats, which are made by SS and uh, SG. You know, SS, I think, it stands for Sarin Sports.
2: Uh-huh. SG uh-huh.
1: is uh, Sandsbury's Greenlands. Yes. So, even all these foreign players, like uh, the players from the Caribbean, for example... Uh, Dre Ross, uh, Kyron Pollard, uh, even Shane Watson. So these guys are using Indian bats right now. If you remember, Shane Watson in his prime was using GM bats, Cannonmore. Moore.
2: I see. Uh, okay.
1: And uh, um, uh, and I think Kyron Pollard probably started with uh, Slazenger bats, V500 or something like that, and then he was using something else and then he's now switched to uh, SS. These SS bats are really good. All these Indian guys have all started switching to these SS bats uh, those with, with no sponsors, of course, uh, you know, for example, Virat Kohli uses an MRF bat, so does uh, Shikhar Dhawan. Rohit Sharma uses at bats, you know, can go on and on. But so majority of these players, uh, you can see at least, I think, 60 to 70 percent of them use these SS or SG bats. Uh, and I think there is probably a reason behind this. I think these bats are more suitable to uh, Indian conditions as well as for power hitting. So I, I, I will keep an eye out. Um, and there is another bat manufacturer called SF. Um, I think there—that's probably Stanford. These are called Stanford bats. Uh, I've seen guys like uh, Owen Morgan use this. This is also an Indian bat, I think, uh, if I'm not wrong. These bats are mes- mostly made in the either the Punjab region or uh, in mm. the Kashmiri region, I know, in the uh, uh, northern part of India or on right. the other side of the border. Right. A, you know, C. Alcote, right. for example. Mm. So these CL codes bats, you have bats like C. A. Have you seen those bats used by Pakistani batsmen? So these are all from CL court. And I noticed yes. in yes. the last uh, ODI series between uh, uh, West Indies and England, uh, Owen Morgan scored a century, remember, along with Joss Butler, those big centuries where they made around 400 plus runs. Uh, 400 uh-huh. plus runs.
0: Uh-huh. Owen
1: Morgan until then was using the SF bat. And in that match, I noticed he switched to C. A. So, so I see. these guys are choosing their bats, you know, uh, quite, uh, how do you say, I mean, quite frequently and uh, they, they make changes. So, I don't know how this works. Uh, I think in the, in, the, in, the, in the past, people would probably stick with the same kind of bat, like I said, for a long duration, whatever they were used to. And these guys are, you know, chopping and changing. So, it's a different way of, you know, um, approaching the game. I think it's changing so much these days. So, I will keep an eye out for this as and when I can. And then maybe I'll collect all these and then, you know, we can probably do a feature episode on this. It's, it's Indeed, very, I mean. very fascinated mm. by these bats that are on the market. And another point, David Warner, before mm-hmm. him, was using grainy calls, And I now see. he's back to uh, IPL and he's now using a Spartan bat, which is also used by, of course, you know, Universe Boss.
2: I see, I right. see. Well, I mean, maybe Spartan is the way to redemption. Indeed. <laughs> all right. Uh, so... Coming back to, I mean, really, man, I'm very impressed with, you know, you have this encyclopedic knowledge of bats used by players and so on and so on. It's one of those, (laughs) to me, a minor detail that I usually miss because I'm more uh, too involved in what's going on and other things. So, uh, fantastic that you notice these things and you have sort of noted them mentally. So, definitely it warrants a different, you know, a section one of these days where we can talk a little bit more about bats, cricketing bats, how they are made and You know, also we can, as you say, go into a bit more detail on what sort of player uses what sort of a bat and uh, let's do this, man. Thanks a lot for bringing it up and we can store it for a future episode. No worries. Cool. All right. Now, um, having finished all that, because there is no other live cricket, uh, live international cricket, let me put it like this, currently going on, I think we can switch over to the West Indian team. And uh, so this is West Indian team, I mean, is the World Cup 2019 preview where we look at one team every episode and we are trying to see uh, their, you know, history of their cricket, maybe a few other things, right? So uh, let's quickly take a look at the West Indian team now. So in this episode, we will be reviewing the West Indian team and their, you know, fortunes. So with that, I would like to just go quickly into the West Indian uh, World Cup history, right? Mm-hmm. They have uh, they have a very rich history. As we know, they are the first champions of uh, You know, one-day cricket, one-day World Cups. They won the tournament twice in the 75 and 79 final. And, uh, you know, they lost very narrowly to India. So, if you look at their overall results, they, they have played 74 matches. They have won 42 matches and lost 30. And there were two matches with no results. And as we know, their best result is 75 and 79, where they won the World Cup. If you look at the leading batters, right of uh, West Indies in the World Cups. So, there are no surprises there. The top two are um, Brian Charles, Lara and Richards. Right? Mm. So, uh, in 34 matches, Lara, at an average of 42, scored 1225 runs, which mm. 200. And Richards, in 23 matches, scored 1013 runs with uh, an average of 63. That's an amazing average. Oh, amazing. In the top five, you have uh, Lara, Richards, Chandrapal, Chris Gale and Haynes. So, Chris Gale, who's still the only player in the top five. And if you extend this to the top 10, well, Marilyn Samuels steps in at number 10. Right? So, these are the best batters for West Indies in the World Cups. And when you look at the bowlers, you have Walsh, who was the best bowler. With 17 matches, he took 23 wickets. uh, Sorry, 27 wickets. And then Andy Roberts, who took uh, 26 wickets in 16 matches. And then Ambrose, who took uh, 24 uh, wickets in 17 matches, Mm -hmm. right? In the top five, or in the current players, let's Mm -hmm. say, you have Jerome Taylor, who took 23 wickets in 14 matches, but I don't think Jerome Taylor is in and around the West Indian One Day team these days, right? And Andre Russell, he has uh, 18 wickets from 10 matches. Uh, These are the, in the top 10, there's no other current player, Right. So, this, these were some, you know, top, uh, let's say, uh, wicket-takers and uh, uh, batsmen. But when you look at uh, matches, as, uh, you know, the captaincy aspect of West Indies. So, this is where you get a good idea of why they won the first two World Cups. Because in the first two World Cups, it was Chris Lloyd. Um, sorry, um, uh, Lloyd, basically. Right? Clive Lloyd. Clive Lloyd. Thank <laughs> you. I started Lloyd. this with my mind. I don't know why Chris came up, but anyway, Clive Lloyd. Chris Gale, I guess. Yes, I think so. And uh, he uh, led them in 17 matches and won 15 of them across the first three World Cups, right? Uh, With an amazing percentage of 88.23. Then you have in the 83 World Cup, it was still him. But then 87 World Cup, it was uh, Ian Richards, uh, Sir Isaac Vivian Richards. (laughs) I'm going to stop saying their uh, given names. Something is wrong. So he led them in six matches and lost three of them. And then in the 92 and 96 World Cup, it was uh, Richie Richardson, Mm -hmm. who again led them in 14 matches. Mm -hmm. Uh, He won seven and lost seven. And then Lara, who led them in the 99 and the 2007 World Cup, had the same record, 14 matches, seven lost, seven won. Then it's not been very nice because Darren Sammy, who led them in the 2011 World Cup, only uh, again seven matches, three won, four lost. Right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, in the 2015 World Cup, And 2003 World Cup, again, the record is dwindling because Carl Hooper in six matches, there was one no result, but he had a positive win ratio. He won three and lost two. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jason Holder in the last World Cup, 2015 World Cup, he played uh, seven matches as captain, won three and lost four. So this is where you see the captaincy has made a big difference. Under Clive Lloyds and Richie Richardson's captaincy, they were still very successful But later on, they're a dwindling force in the world cricket. But maybe, who knows, you know, a renaissance is due, right? So, we just looked at some of the stats. But to get a clear understanding of their history and their performances, and maybe also, you know, a quick uh, deep dive into the squads, uh, we had a guest who contributed a small uh, snippet. And uh, this is a friend of the show, Chetan. And uh, he he is actually a tennis coach by profession, but he's very enthusiastic about cricket all these years that I've known him. And uh, he has sent us a small snippet that we would like to, you know, uh, we would like to let him introduce West Indian team and their chances. So uh, having said that, I think let's now have a listen to Chetan and what he has to say about the West Indian chances at the World Cup.
0: We are here today talking about the chances of West Indies uh, depending on the squad and their uh, history in the World Cup. I think First, we'll uh, take a look at the history of uh, West Indies cricket in the World Cup. Uh, the World Cup started in the year 1975 and it was mainly dominated by the West Indies until they lost the uh, final at Lords in 1983. That was mainly because they had stalwarts of cricket at that time and they were dominating even the test format. The number of match winners in the West Indies side uh, led by uh, Vivian Richards was amazing and uh, the whole of the cricketing world were fearful of their 11 and the bench strength. The bowling with the likes of Joel Garner, Andy Roberts, to the batting cap and bat batting of Viv Richards, captaincy of Clive Lloyd. If we remember, they also uh, made match-winning contributions in the 1975 and 79 finals respectively, with a couple of centuries. Viv Richards also got three direct hits in the 1979 final to make West Indies defend the world championship that they had won in the 75. They were very unlucky to miss out on the 1983 World Cup victory as the catch of Wave Richards taken by Kapil Dev was said to be the turning point of the match while India were defending a very low total. Coming to the squad of the West Indies cricket at the moment of course we do not have the uh, match winners that they had during the late 70s until the early 90s but still they have got a very very talented group some of whom have had very exceptional performances on English soil in the ODI format quite recently Grace Gale has always performed reasonably well in the T20 World Cup as well as the ODI bilateral series or ICC events in England. The re- the latest prodigy, if you look at the performances of West Indies cr- cricketers batters in England, we can think of uh, 180 odd runs scored by Evan Lewis. Last time they had a bilateral series against England. To add to the the experience of Chris Chris Gale and Evan Lewis at the top, we have had fantastic performers of late in the uh, subcontinent by Shea Hope and uh, Shimron Hetmeyer. They are the rising stars of West Indies cricket. Of course, uh, Shea Hope. Uh, turned a corner in his career by scoring twin hundreds in the Headingley Test, which won West Indies the match. That I think would prove to be the turning point of his cricketing career, no matter what format he plays. Also led by a calm, cool captain, Jason Holder, who is a fantastic all-rounder who had had a fantastic series against England in the test matches back in the Caribbean with a double hundred. And all-rounders like Ashley Nurse, Roston Chase and Rovman Powell, they can really pack a punch at the end of the innings. If they have a very good platform set by the top and middle order, they definitely have a great chance of upsetting a few big teams and trying to qualify for the knockout stage because the format this time consists of nine league matches for all the teams which means five or six victories pretty much guarantees you a semi-final spot so the onus for the West Indies if they have to qualify for the knockout stage would be on their fast bowling capacity how they can get wickets up front and during the death overs, because of late in England, we have seen that scores of 360 and 370 are quite common. In fact, some of them even coming close to or touching 400 quite regularly. And the top batting nations of the world, like India, New Zealand, and England, have uh, the openers have always done well in those conditions especially in day-night games, where the matches start around 1, 1 or 2 p.m. So, if we look at the recent past, the England ODI series in the Caribbean, uh, West Indies have, batters have always put up huge scores or challenged while chasing huge targets. But it's the bowlers who have actually let them down. In fact, the series uh, was tied at two apiece, which is quite good considering that England is now one of the top ODI playing nations. After Owen Morgan took over and with the emergence of uh, Jason Roy, Josh Butler and Johnny Bairstow, as well as the all-round ability of Stokes. So, coming back to West Indies, I think the lead role has to be played by O'Shane Thomas, who is a new exciting fast bowler and with support roles played by Sheldon Cottrell and um, Alzari Joseph. Where it would be the key is if they can restrict the run flow during the middle overs, they really have a chance to win and especially against the top teams, Their main chance would be to chase down a total rather than set a target because the bowlers haven't really shown any promise to defend even huge totals. So the squad mainly should consist of a couple of uh, spinning all-rounders like Ashley Nurse and Roston Chase along with two fast bowlers and depending on the conditions if uh, it's cloudy and overcast we can probably have three fast bowlers and one spinner but i think the batting order now looks pretty experienced with at least five to six odi series under them even the newcomers i think where it would be important is if they can if they can Really give them a solid start by having, say, a score of 240 to 250 for two or three wickets down maximum at the end of the 40 overs. They have a real chance of getting 100 to anywhere between 100 to 120 runs in the final 10 overs. That while chasing will be the best chance for West Indies to create an upset or to qualify for the semi-finals. That would be my feeling towards the chances of West Indies cricket, looking at their history and the squad for the England 2019 World Cup. Thank you.
2: So, uh, we would like to say thanks to Chetan for a very insightful and well-analyzed snippet. So, this is a very good example of how our listeners can get involved with us. And uh, we can have a discussion about, uh, you know, what we are doing in the upcoming weeks. And you guys, if you want to contribute, you're more than welcome to send us a snippet or get into a discussion with us about it. So, uh, now we have a historical perspective of where West Indies have come from and what their squad could look like. To see the squad take a final shape, I think uh, we can take a look at the players that are in and around the pool and so on. So, Giri, would you like to introduce us to the squad that we think will play for West Indies?
1: Yes, um, so basically we had um, the, this the last ODI series that uh, West Indies played uh, in was against England, and that was at home. I think this concluded just a month ago. Um, so we have taken the team that played in this tournament as uh, one of the starting points uh, to build our you know, list of probables, basically. So I will go through the list uh, one by one, and then we can talk about it in detail. Uh, Towards the end, we can also have a chat about uh, who is in why and uh, stuff like that. Okay, um, so let's start then. So for the opening slot, we have uh, the universe boss, Christopher Henry Gale. We also have Evan Lewis, the left-hand batsman, opening batsman. Um, And as a backup, we could possibly have, uh, you know, as as an opening batsman backup, we could possibly have Shea Hope. So that's uh, player number three. Um, and then in the middle order, bolstering the middle order, we could have Darren Bravo, so the younger Bravo, um, and then of course the charismatic uh, Shimron Hetmyer, uh, and then we um, we uh, basically run into the all-rounders. So we start with Andre Russell, who bats uh, very well. We've uh, you know uh, re- read about his uh, latest. Uh, uh, adventures um he also bowls very fast uh, right arm fast uh, and then we have the captain himself jason holder bat and bowl both so he's an all-rounder um so another all-rounder we have is carlos brathwaite uh, who does the same bat and a uh, little bit of uh, right arm medium fast um, if carlos brathwaite does not uh, make it to the squad for any reason Uh, We think Kimo Paul could be a good replacement for him. So Kimo Paul is also uh, an all-rounder who bats and, uh, you know, bowls medium pace, medium fast, maybe. It's not so uh, fast. Um, And then we have Ashley Nurse, who is the other all-rounder we have, a spinning all-rounder, off-break bowler, uh, right-hand batsman. We then have uh, Jomel Warikan, who is actually a left-arm orthodox bowler, and he is no mug with the bat. Um, however, if he does not make it um, to this squad, we think, you know, given that we are seeing some administrative changes going on in the West Indies Cricket Board, Sunil Narayan could make a comeback in his place, uh, and Sunil Narayan is quite good with the, with the bat, left arm, left-hand arm left batsman, and we all know about his bowling skills. Um, so. If he makes a comeback, I think that would be really good for West Indies cricket. Uh, And then we have the fast bowlers towards the end. Uh, O'Shane Thomas, um, right arm fast. We have Sheldon Cottrell, who does left arm uh, fast medium bowling. And then we have Alzari Joseph, uh, who is a right arm fast bowler. We also have another all-rounder that I left out in this list, Roston Chase. He can bowl a bit of uh, off-break. Off we saw his eight-wicket hole in the Test match against uh, England recently, and he's also good with the bat. Uh, if Roston Chase does not play, then we could possibly have another guy like Ravman Powell, a like-for-like replacement. Uh, and uh, Alzari Joseph, if yeah, if for some some reason he doesn't make it, then we could, you know, we could have Kyron Pollard in his place, uh, but that's again another question mark if Kyron Polar, you know, makes it come back to this squad. I think there is a lot of question marks about that. Uh, and uh, talking about it offline, Ajit, Alzarri Joseph was not in our uh, list of probables until uh, the, the last match that he placed uh, for Mumbai Indians this evening.
2: So uh-huh.
1: I think he made it to this squad um, on the back of that uh, six-wicket haul. Uh, mm-hmm. that, he, uh, you know, that, he, that he got. So um, so looking at this, so we finished uh, 15 players. Uh, so we have Chris Gale, Evan Lewis, Shea Hope, Darren Bravo, Shimron Hetmeyer, Andre Russell, Jason Holder, Carlos Brathwaite, or Kimo Paul, Ashley Nurse, Jomel Wadikan, or Sunil Narine, O'Shane Thomas, Rustin Chase, or Ravman Powell, Sheldon Cottrell, Nicholas Puran, a backup wicketkeeper, the and then Alzari Joseph or Kyron Pollard.
2: Right. Well, I mean, it looks good. And uh, this squad sort of, I mean, we think it's very balanced. But look, there are a couple of left field, uh, you know, suggestions. Kieran Pollard is one, you're right. Sunil Narayan could be another, as you said. Mm. And of course, now with Ricky Skerritt taking over as the chairman of CWI, mm. We know he has a very good, warm relationship with Darren Sammy because he was sort of the manager and the man involved behind the scenes when West Indies team won the 2016 uh, T20 World Cup under Darren Sammy, the last tournament where he sort of represented West Indies and wore the maroon, right? He's one of those guys who may come into it right from the left field or right and left, I used on the same sentence, but going further, uh, Mm -hmm. he may come in all the way from the left field is what I meant. So, it's a complete surprise pick. He could still fit in here, you know. If you were to look, up, look at this, maybe Roston Chase or Roman Powell, this spot could be given to him. You know, this is still an opening here, right. This this Darren Sami is is, is a very interesting character. You see that he has a true leadership quality, you know. Uh, his his middle names are Julius and Garvey, you know. And with uh, middle names like that, you can be uh, you cannot doubt his leadership. today oh, for right? nothing, no. Yes. So, and of course, he has pedigree that he has won the T20 World Cup twice with this West Indian team, right? And he's really a good uh, motivator and a man-manager as well because, well, look look at his success with the Pekhavar Zalmi team. He won the tournament once and took them to the final twice. So he's almost a native Pakistani these days, they talk, right? His name is Darren Sami, they say. So anyway, um, when you think about all this, It looks like this could be a left-side pick, left-field pick. And, of course, uh, Dwayne Bravo has announced his retirement from the one-day squad. Uh, He's only available for T20s. But who knows, you know, if the right people have the right sort of words to say, Mm. after all, he may have a swan song after World Cup, right? So, again, another player who may come into the picture. This is all ifs and buts. Both uh, Sammy and uh, Dwayne Bravo Or for that matter, you know, Pollard and Narayan also to a very large extent. These are all ifs and buts. Let's see how it goes. Now, let's now look at, you know, what we do at the end of every team's chances, Kiri. Let's look at their uh, match schedule and what you think about, you know, uh, which matches they'll win and which matches I I think they'll win. Let's go about it quickly.
0: Right.
1: Um, Round-robin format. They play nine matches again, like every other team in this World Cup. Um, so the first match West Indies play is against Pakistan. That's a good strong start to the to their World Cup uh, campaign. Uh, this is played at Trent Bridge. Um, I have well, I have predicted that West Indies will win this. Uh, it's a bold claim, but I think West Indies are they look good on paper and think they have every chance of winning this. Uh huh. What do you think about uh, West Indies Pakistan?
2: Well, I'll give it to West Indies as well.
1: Is it, okay. Well, do, do you want to hear my predictions first and then come up with yours? Or shall we do I it? think it, but, it's
2: good. You can go through all nine matches, then I'll either right. agree with you or disagree with you. Okay. okay, good, good. Okay,
1: the next one is at uh, Trend Beach again. Uh, they play against Australia. Uh, I am going to say Australia is going to win this. Um, the third match they play is at uh, Aegeus Ball, Cardiff. Uh, this is against South Africa. I think South Africa are too strong for West Indies. Uh, they will probably pull this off. Uh, the next match is, is at the same stadium. Uh, Ajay's ball uh, against England. Uh, this is a bit tricky for me because the last ODI series between England and West Indies was tied at 2-2 with one non-finish um, in a in a five-match series. Uh, it's a bit close to call, I think. But then because England are playing in home conditions, I'm going to say England is going to win this. Uh, the next match is between West Indies and Bangladesh. Well, um, we I already made a prediction uh, when we were covering Bangladesh last time around. And I said West Indies is going to win this. So, I will stick with that. Uh, and then they move on to Old Trafford to play against New Zealand. Um, well, I think New Zealand are a bit too strong at this moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless West Indies, you know, strike good form in the beginning of the tournament. Uh, they can, you know, be like a rampaging river. They will probably brush everything aside uh, so if uh, but I think at this moment I'll still say New Zealand is going to win uh, against them and the next match is at the same location Old Trafford they play against India I'm going to say India is going to win this because they are the top two side but you never know mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. say India um, the one after that is against Sri Lanka uh, when we covered Sri Lanka I said West Indies is going to win this so West Indies will still win this and um, The last Mm -hmm. match that they play is against Afghanistan at Headingley Leeds. Right. Um, Well, I predicted West Indies is going to win this, so I'm going to stick with that. So that makes it one, two, three, and four. Four victories for West Indies out of nine matches. Right. Am I a bit harsh? Let's see what you're going to say.
2: Well, I mean, I think you may have it spot on, but I'm I'm the optimistic one, right? I'm the one who's full of uh, amazing and uh, unreal optimism. So I'll go again with that. Look, um, they have an advantage here going into the last two to three of their matches knowing because some of their last two to three matches are against, let's say, in Air Court's weaker sides. Mm. They have a chance of sort of estimating, you know, even if they were to win or lose against India, what sort of a maybe run rate they show up and then go all out in the last two matches and win them. So it gives them sort of an advantage against Sri Lanka and Afghanistan. They are one of those people whose, uh, you know, luck of the draw is a bit favourable, right? And having said that, Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go uh, I'm going to let's say agree with you more or less down the order except the match against South Africa Mm -hmm. I'm going to say they may pip South Africa to the post I have a feeling this West Indian team is slightly stronger than the South African team so maybe our placing of West Indies you know as the sixth Mm -hmm. team on the list might or the sixth from top might be a bit harsh but let it be I would say uh, sixth or seventh even so I would say it's good I have a feeling they're going to win five matches rather than four. Because I agree with your four and I'm going to tell they're going to pip South Africa. So, that basically means they're going to qualify for the next round. Mm -hmm. They're going to qualify or they're going to put their hat in the ring to be qualifying for the knockouts. This is my prediction for West Indies. Let's see how it goes. So, So you're
1: you're basically telling that they're probably going to be one of the semi-finalists. Yes. Because we don't have the knockout stage, right? So, we just have round-robin and then semi-finals and finals. Right, so, so
2: I'm going to say yes. Wow. Well,
1: I think I will be really happy if that happens because we are waiting for this revival, and we almost saw that in the Test series against England and also in the ODI series, which was you know tied at two two. Mm-hmm. And it may well be that we they, they are catching the right uh, you know they' they're going to catch the crest of a wave on on the right moment. I think they may well peak in the World Cup and then hopefully we're going to see a West Indies uh, team of the old, you know even better, hopefully.
2: Indeed. I mean, uh, this is a longer discussion, but uh, what we were discussing offline, you know, they have a very good setup of fast bowlers coming through, and that was the original engine that drove the West Indian Mm -hmm. success, so to say, for more than a decade and a half, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we may see a real, I mean, there have been a couple of false dawns. This might be the real one, and I don't want to jinx it. I'm going to leave it at that, right? (laughs) All right. That's okay, yeah. Let's go further. Let's take a quick look at some of these miscellaneous, uh, you know, uh, news that uh, are going around the cricketing world. So, uh, related to West Indies, the first one we can go through quickly is that, you know, Richard Pibus, who's currently the coach of West Indian team, has, you know, there are hints that because Ricky Scarrett has taken over as the, you know, the president of the CWI, him and Richard Pibus don't really see eye to eye. And what we have seen is a report that sort of hints that Richard Pibus could be, asked to step down as the coach of the West Indian team, right? And uh, basically, Ricky Skerritt in an interview said that uh, a cricket review process is underway and they're basically looking at the coaching structure top down, right? All the way to the grassroots. So that might be an indication that maybe, you know, Pibus was actually having a contract until the end of July when uh, sort of West Indian team came to and finished the tour of India. Maybe that might be terminated a bit sooner, Right, he. If you remember, he only started in February, at the end of Jan, more or less, when mm. Stuart Law left to take over uh, an England county team. Right, this is one thing. The next thing we can take a quick look is uh, well, um, the ICC anti-corruption unit has decided to coll- collaborate with Interpol, the world uh, policing body, let so to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, yeah. So that basically means there'll be some exchange of information between uh, the uh, ACU and Interpol. And basically they will sort of use also the local police contacts that Interpol maintains, right? So they're going to take on Interpol as a partner. How, um, how thorough this partnership will be because Interpol already has its own anti-corruption unit or anti-corruption unit in sports, so to say, right? So one of uh, the assistant directors of interpol's criminal networks in a interview said that they're going to start cooperating and have meetings and they want a very collaborative approach but maybe this will take a couple of years to take shape but one way or the other if that really happens this is a huge you know this is a huge step yeah. for yeah. fighting cricketing corruption so it's a very welcome let's say a step for me right so, and the next news we would like to quickly mention is that, well, Karuna Ratna, Dimut Karuna Ratna, who, who's DOI or uh, driving under influence charge mm-hmm. we have discussed last episode, right? Yeah. This guy, uh, well, I mean, uh, he has been fined uh, what is about 1.3 million Sri Lankan rupees or uh, 7,500 US dollars, right? Mm-hmm. He's been fined a very, very, you know, uh, exorbitant sum. As a deterrent, so uh, the spokesperson for SLC, Sri Lankan Cricket, said that this large number they have fined him, this is more or less what he would earn in a test match, or a bit more than that, is what mm-hmm. they said. And they want this to be a proper deterrent to all their cricketers. So I hope this sends the right uh, message out to the Sri Lankan people, and maybe he'll he'll be forgiven, and maybe he'll be adapted back into the fold rather sooner than later. This is the feeling I get about it. But let's see how it develops, the story. Mm-hmm. Right? Now... Um, the former Indian women's coach uh, Tushar Arote, Arote, I don't know how his uh, surname is really pronounced. Arote, yeah, Tushar Arote. His um, well, I mean, he's been arrested for some betting-related activity. So he was arrested from Cafe Stock Exchange in Baroda, Baroda or Vadodara, uh, which is sort of owned by him and his son. And uh, all the owners of this pub have been arrested uh, in the match or in relation to the match between King's Hill and Punjab and Delhi capital. So there's not a lot of information uh, available, but it's, it's something I think we can keep an eye on. Unfortunately, somebody who was only recently forced to step down, right? And uh, he, he stepped down from the Indian women's coaching job because of some discord with the seniors in the team is what we heard. So, well, we'll see how this really, this incident uh, or this, this story develops because he's completely denied all charges, which is what everybody does. Maybe there's nothing to it as well, right? All right. Now, going further, we have a couple of interesting topics. First one of those is that there has been a shakeup in the leadership of Afghanistan cricket team. So close to the World Cup, it comes as a surprise. So, basically, Askar Afghan, who was leading Afghanistan in all three formats, has been asked to step down, right? And in each of these formats, a new captain has been appointed. So Gulbadin Naib has been given the captaincy of the one-day squad. Rashid Khan has been given the captaincy of the T20 squad. And Rahmat Shah, uh, the upcoming test batsman star in the team, has been given the charge of the test cricket team. And also, uh, Rashid Khan will be the deputy in ODIs. Shafiqullah Shafiq will be the deputy in T20s. And Hashmatullah Shahidi will be the deputy in test cricket. So, okay. this comes as a bit of a surprise to us. So close to the World Cup that they have chosen to replace a captain of four yeah. years standing, right? And the two who recently won them, their are uh, made in test match victory. I don't know what is going on, Giri. Do you have any idea about this?
1: Um, what What's his age? Is he like 35 or 36? Uh,
2: no, of... no, no, no. He's, he's 31.
1: Really? 31
2: going on 32. Really? That's, yes.
1: That's probably even the best age to be a captain.
2: Yes, and that's I mean, a
1: bit strange for me. Uh, I don't know if uh, this is going to help them because I think he has stabilized the team. He has also helped them flourish, you know, in all these formats. Exactly. And, uh, to achieve their first test victory, so is it a good time to change this? I don't know if there is more than meets the eye here. Maybe something Maybe. happened Maybe. Uh, off field,
0: mm-hmm. which has
1: led them, you know, to take this decision. Um, so it, it, it I, I'm really shocked actually, not surprised, but I'm really shocked that they changed their captain. Before a World Cup, so...
2: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is this is sort of comes uh, from the left field, as they say. But, you know, I mean, well, I mean, a couple of points. His his predecessor, Navroz Mangal, retired at uh, 33, 34-ish, right? right. And uh, he moved into administration and coaching and that sort of stuff. Maybe they're, you know, they have some talks. They've had some talks with Asghar Af Khan and maybe he's given them some hints, right? Yes. And maybe based on that, look, he has not spoken at all. What we have is the official release from Afghanistan Cricket Board. And yeah. some uh, players like Mohammad Nabi and Rashid Khan really not happy with it. I mean, the seniors in the team, let me put it like yeah. this. The senior statesmen in the team sort of speaking up, saying, what are you doing? Right? But uh, given that he's been silent, maybe either he's holding his tongue to speak at the right time. Because, you know, Rashid and Nabi have used words like irresponsible and biased. And they've taken to Twitter
1: yeah. to
2: criticise the board. So... But- yeah.
1: But Asghar Afghan still remains part of this team, right? He's not yes. out, out of the team. So No, no, no.
2: no. We don't know that yet. I mean, they have not announced their squad yet. Hmm. That is, That remains to be seen. But I really don't see... Well, given that in the last three ODIs that he played against Scott Ireland, in that series against Ireland, I think he had 350s. Right. He was, he
1: was that would be silly 30s. to drop okay. him. Maybe he's, uh, you know, he's also fatigued. He's also suffering from fatigue, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. But in that case, you know, guys like uh, Rashid Khan wouldn't have spoken out in public. He would have first communicated to his colleagues, right? Before Mm -hmm. uh, taking this step, saying, I'm going to step down. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, it's probably, there's probably more than meet the eye. Uh, So let's watch out what's going to happen. I think uh, uh, maybe nothing will happen. Maybe nobody will speak up until the time is uh, right. Or when he well, writes, we will see. On, maybe his uh, autobiography, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which yeah.
2: happens these days. Indeed, so, indeed. I think the yeah. Once you retire, they don't have any. You don't have a contract with them, and maybe you have more freedom. Yeah. But really, I don't see an autobiography expose from Askar afghan It's not the right thing in that region. That's not how it works. I think. Uh, you don't know many Indian players or Pakistani players who have written a scathing autobiography or a biography but well uh, afridi by the way just speaking of it afridi has promised that another one of his official biographies is coming out and it will tell everything about his cricketing career so watch out for right. it when i mention afridi well you know we joked about it last episode and yeah. ages right maybe yeah. Askar afghan has a different number as well i
1: was going to say that actually <laughs> don't. i was going to say that yeah
2: well i mean jokes apart I'm really hoping some sanity will prevail and because the senior statesmen in the team have sort of come out very strongly, mm. maybe he may be reinstated or maybe this decision might be revisited before the at team. At least
1: is... for the ODIs, at least for the ODIs. Right.
2: I think. Exactly. I mean, it would have made sense to give him a swan song and then let him uh, then ask him to step down or maybe he steps down voluntarily. Mm. That would have seemed reasonable. That would have seemed like this is a change of the World Cup cycle. It's the right time to appoint a new captain. All that would have come through sort of logically. But anyway, let's see. Okay, another important news, well, not important, but a developing story is that if you remember Haseeb Hamid, the young England opener who had come to India in 2015, was it? 2015, 2016, right? Yeah. He's he's sort of back in the news. Mm -hmm. Even 2017, if I'm not wrong. Sorry. He's back in the news and uh, he scored a 218 run innings in the opening first class fixture of the season uh, for his team, Lancashire, And... Uh, against university 11 but that doesn't matter for us right so given that there is a bit of uh, space in the england uh, Ashes squad for an opener what do you say about it
1: okay um so hasib hamid uh, you know this guy made his debut uh, against india when he at the age of 19 right so and he's more of the jeffrey boycott mold uh, not a good comparison but i think he, uh-huh. He's an old fashioned guy, you know. Yeah, he you don't compare
2: he's, he's, Jeffrey Boycott to anybody, but uh, why not? Go in on. terms of blocking, you know. Let's, Got
1: let's you. be honest. It's, God, I'm teasing we, he's God. one of the best blockers ever, uh, Jeffrey right. Boycott. Of course. Um, so, uh, and looking at uh, the English uh, test team right now and the struggles they had, especially the opening batsman uh, in West Indies, uh, there was this guy called Keaton Jennings. So there still is, uh-huh. uh, but. Uh, I don't see him making a comeback uh, for the Ashes, upcoming Ashes in the summer, English summer. So if that is indeed going to happen, if that's indeed going to be true, then if uh, Keaton Jennings has no place in the team, they will be looking for a re- replacement. And one of the potential replacements could be this guy. And by the time the Ashes begin, if he can crank up some runs and you know put up some uh, consistent performance on the county circuit uh, for Lancashire, Um, he might well be back in the reckoning. I don't know if he was ever out of the reckoning, but I think he will probably be there. Uh, He's just 22 now, so it was three years ago that he made his debut. Mm -hmm. So, at the age of 22, he's got a long career ahead of him. If he makes his comeback to the team, it will be good for him, as well as, you know, another change for the uh, test squad, but um, yeah, we will see how it goes when they play against Australia in the Ashes, though. So, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. good luck to him. Indeed. Indeed. I think it's nice to see such a nice talent coming to fruition. We really uh, hope that, you know, he can come back to the squad and nail down that opener spot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rory Burns, the other opener, is also sort of new in the team. So, I think they can build careers around that. So, yeah. we really hope so. You
1: know, there was one Alistair Cook who did the same. He started young. Well,
2: a certain Alistair who took away 12,000 runs. Well, that's another story. Yeah, that's it? another story, of
1: course. Yeah, but
2: they always All start
1: day. young, right? So, you have to of course, start with of
2: course. Young. Indeed. He started well too, Alistair Cook. He mm-hmm. scored a debut century. You're right. All right, then. Uh, those are all the topics we wanted to discuss for today. Now, uh, Now, the trivia question for today, as always, is somewhat related to one of the main teams we were discussing all through the episode. So, the question for this week is, who scored the first ever double hundred in a 50-over World Cup match? Mm-hmm. right his name may have come up once or twice also in this episode if you have been listening carefully I think you know the answer it's a very obvious answer so I'm really hoping our fans and our listeners and our supporters all over please do write in to us you can contact us using our twitter handle at pod or via our facebook page right or you can write into us at armchair.cricket at gmail.com uh, with the right answers or any other thoughts you may have or any other thoughts you may have about uh, participating as a guest you know, you heard another, another guest who stopped by today for a small, you know, who contributed a snippet. So you don't even have to join the call if you're not comfortable with us, right? And of course, you know, in the upcoming episodes, we have quite a lot of teams that we're going to review. So we are at number four in the position. Uh, we are starting top down, so or bottom up. So we have six more teams and all the exciting teams coming up. And what I can tell you is we'll have more guests joining us. For example, we have some guests lined up who may join us for England. Review or South Africa review, and so on, and so on. So, we can't reveal too much at this stage, but I hope uh, this you know pricks up your curiosity and you join us for the upcoming episodes. Having said all that, guys, that's all from me.
1: And it's a goodbye from him. Bye bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.